Father, thank you for promising, promising to send us the Holy Spirit, to lead us into all truth, not just to tell us about truth, but to make truth a reality in our hearts, for your love to saturate our hearts. You would change us from the inside out as our prayer this morning, Father. As we come in contact with your word, may it just be more than just words on the screen, words on the pages in our Bible. But may they be words of life, as you've promised that they will be. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I want you to imagine for a minute that somebody came to you and gave you a proposal. They said, you know, I have this island. It's in the Caribbean. This, this beautiful island that is uninhabited. And, and I built this beautiful mansion on this island. And, and the thing is, business has called me away. And, and this, let me tell you about this mansion for a second. This mansion is self, uh, self-sustained. It, it has uh, solar panels. It has the water that it needs. Um, and not only that, but there's this beautiful garden out in the back that has all of the amazing tropical fruit you can imagine, plus all of the vegetables you'll ever need. You can simply move there, live there. In fact, any needs that you have, we will send them to that island um, all for free. How many of you would get excited about this offer, you know? You could handle living on a deserted island in the Caribbean. And, and then he goes on to tell you, but, but there's just one caveat, one simple thing. You knew there was a hook, didn't you? There always has to be. Here it is. You have to go there by yourself. You can move to that island and live there, but you cannot take your spouse with you. You cannot take your children with you. You cannot take any friends with you. You are going to go and live on this island by yourself, and you can never leave that island. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, because some of you might have had a difficult week, and you're thinking, an island sounds like a good place. But I want to tell you, from my experience in seeing people who have experienced deep loneliness— this is not what we were made for. This is, is not the design. And yet, so often, the fixation of our lives, the focus of our lives is on the material things that we can add to our lives. Now, you know, it's fascinating. There was actually somebody in the Bible who was given the opportunity to choose something that, that was actually probably more beautiful than what you're seeing in that picture. Go with me to Genesis chapter uh, 13. Genesis chapter 13, and we'll pick it up in verse 10. Now, in, in Genesis 13, uh, Abraham is finally moved to the promised land with all of his family. And as they've gotten to the promised land, he's... His, his herds are multiplying. Things are good for Abraham. And you remember Lot. He had rescued Lot, or, or I mean, he had, he had taken Lot in, talking about orphans. He had taken Lot in as an orphan. His, his father had died. He'd taken him as a part of his family. And likely due to the fact that Lot was a part of his family, Lot's uh, herds had begun to expand. And Lot has a large family as well. And suddenly something begins to happen between their their herdsmen. There begins to be a conflict over the land, over herding their flocks. And so in Genesis chapter uh, chapter 13, Abraham says, Okay, look, let's not have strife between us. Have any of you had family strife before? He said, let's not have strife between us. Just look out and you pick the area that you want to go to and and, and we'll we'll put some distance between us. 
So Genesis chapter 13 and verse 10 tells us that Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the plain of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like what? What does it say? Like the garden of the Lord. Can you imagine how beautiful that would be? Like the Garden of Eden, is so this valley looked incredibly beautiful, and Lot is looking, he says, wow, look at that. I want that for my life. And it doesn't matter the fact that Abraham is the elder one in the situation. It doesn't matter that he has provided for me so much. I'm going to choose what's best for me. You know, the great controversy boils down to a conflict between selfless love and selfishness. These two things are in an eternal conflict. And we learned last week that love is going to be a peaceful end to the great controversy. That every knee will bow, including that vast army of wicked who attempt to charge the city of God. If you missed it, you can catch it on our YouTube channel or on our podcast where we looked at this incredible last battle that is brought to a final peaceful end. It's such a beautiful thing, but we're not going to go back to that. We're looking here at Lot. And look at what Lot decides. Verse 11. Then Lot chose for what? For himself. He said, it's about me. It's about what I want. It's about my life. It was about selfishness for Lot. He chose for himself all the plain of the Jordan. And Lot journeyed east and they separated from each other. You see, for Lot, it wasn't about the relationship. It it was about the stuff. It was about what he wanted for himself. It wasn't about watching out for others' good above his own. And that always ends up isolating us and hurting us and causing, in the end, our destruction. We've looked at how the wages of sin is death and that James chapter 1 and verse 15 says that sin, when it is matured, which sin is selfishness, it produces death. It produces total isolation. It produces what we see on the cross of Calvary as as Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was ripped apart from his father, feeling totally isolated and alone. That is not the goal of our lives. To find a, a, a deserted island to live on is not going to ever satisfy. So let's go back to the third angel's message. You're wondering what in the world does this have to do with the third angel's message? Let's go back to, and we're going to actually go to the next verse because we've been looking at Revelation chapter 14 and verse 10. Last week we looked at how they're going, those who worship the beast in his image are going to be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of what? The lamb. It's in the end that the cross is revealed as what, as Colossians describes, brings a disarmament to that army who is convinced that they want to charge the city of God. So you can catch, you can, you can catch up on that, but we're now in verse 11. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Amen. Shall we go home and enjoy our lunch? Right? That's a, that's a pretty positive, encouraging thing. It sounds challenging, but thankfully, as we dig into what revelation means, rather than just taking it on a surface level, we begin to realize the depth of the beauty of God's love, even in some of the most challenging scriptures in all the Bible. 
So what is the Old Testament uh, background for this? We're going to look at more of it in coming weeks here. But let's look at a specific story where somebody saw smoke rising in Genesis chapter 15. We're going to focus in on this phrase, and the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. Sorry, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 19. In Genesis chapter 19 and verse 27, we pick up the story of Abraham. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. We're going to come back to that. Then he looked toward where? He looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain. And he saw and behold the smoke of that land which went up like the smoke of a furnace. So he looks out and he sees this smoke ascending off in the distance. What were some of the emotions that were going through Abraham's mind at that point in time? What were some of his thoughts? What do you think was stirring inside of him as he saw this smoke ascending? You know, that smoke represented something to him. As he looked out, he knew that God was going to that city. God had warned him about this. And and think about, he he knew who was in that city. Who was in that city? Lot. Lot had chosen that selfishly. But Abraham, you don't find Abraham uh, holding this against Lot. This is a lot of the reason that our conflicts continue to go on because we hang on to these grudges about how somebody treated us. But Abraham, when Lot was in trouble and the the cities of uh, the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah were taken captive... What did he do? He took all of his fighting men and he went and he captured them. And, or he went and fought the army that had captured them. And he took them back and he refused to take any of the goods from Sodom and Gomorrah. But he rescued Lot out of that catastrophe. Despite the fact of the way Lot had treated him. And so you find that this is the type of attitude that Abraham is portraying. That he is self-sacrificing. He's loving. He's wor- worried about the interests of Lot. And so as he sees that smoke ascending, do you think he's happy about it? Probably not so much. As he sees that smoke ascending, it's, there's probably some inter, inner turmoil that's going on in him. Now let's, let's look back here at Genesis. Well, well, first, why are we looking at this? What does this have to do with Revelation? Well, Jude gives us a, a clear tie between the two. Jude chapter, Jude verse 7. Sorry, Jude is one chapter. Jude verse 7 says, As Sodom and Gomorrah <clears throat> and the cities around them, in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of what? What did they suffer? The vengeance of eternal fire. Sodom and Gomorrah experienced, Jude tells us, eternal fire. So, so here we have this example that of smoke rising from what was the example of eternal fire. And here you have Abraham looking at this. Revelation chapter 14, we have the smoke of their torment ascending forever and ever. You have the smoke arising from, from a, 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 in it, uh, a fire of eternal uh, consequence. Now, something fascinating. If you jump over to 2 Peter uh, chapter 2 and verse 6, it says this about Sodom and Gomorrah. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. What were Sodom and Gomorrah turned into? Ashes. 
And I can attest to this. I, I got to travel to Israel, and we don't know the exact location of Sodom and Gomorrah, but the region where it is uh, is a very desolate region. It's a desert, and there's nothing there, but I can tell you that there was no smoke ascending, that there was uh, no fires burning there, at least on, on this, uh, this large of a scale. It was turned to ashes, the Bible tells us. So watch, in Genesis chapter 19, when, when God comes to Abra- when God is with Abraham, verse 27 tells us about this experience, uh, sorry, verse 27 is what we just read, and Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had, what before the Lord? Stood before the Lord. Now this is referencing a story that took place before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. What did he do when he stood before the Lord? Do you remember that story? He was pleading with him. He said, Lord, Lord, hang on. What if you find 50 righteous people in Sodom? Would you save Sodom and Gomorrah for 50 people? God said, yeah, of course. How about 45? How about 40? And he keeps going. 30, 20, 10. Would you save it for just 10 righteous people? God said, yes. Yes, I would. So you imagine the feelings for Abraham as he comes back to that exact spot. He sees smoke ascending and he says, oh no, there weren't even 10? I thought there were 10. Maybe I should ask for five. There weren't even 10 righteous people in that city. So let's go back to where God came to Abraham. Chapter 18 is where we find that. And the Lord said, Because, as he's going with Abraham, he said, And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave. What's the reason that he's beginning here? Two things, right? Sin is very grave. And what's the other thing? The outcry outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah has come up to the Lord. He says, I'm coming down here, and I'm I'm concerned about what's going on. Who's doing the out? Uh, who's crying out? Who do you think this is? Any guesses? Who do you think doing the crying out in this story? Abraham's crying out. So maybe Abraham's been saying, hey, there's a big problem here. Who else do you think might? Lot. Yeah. Second Peter, actually, the next verse, verse, chapter 2, verse 7, says he was vexed in his spirit day by day, seeing the unrighteousness there. Let's think about the story, though. When the two angels come to Sodom and Gomorrah and they come into the town square, they they act like they're going to spend the night there in the town square. And Lot, he sees them there and he comes and he says, no, 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 you got to come to my house. And they say, it's all right, we'll we'll stay here in the town square. He says, no, 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 no. You've got to come to my house. Why was he so desperate to get them out of that town square? He knew what happened to foreigners who came to town and stayed in the town square. He knew what his town did to people. In fact, when they're charging his door, trying to get these men to come out uh, to rape them, he, he, they say to him as he, as he makes the terrible offer of his daughters, I, I don't understand that part of the story, but he, Lot, God is in process with Lot, but... As he offers this to, to the people, they say, who made you a judge over us? Why are, is this foreigner coming in and telling us what's right and wrong? You get this, this idea that this was a continual thing that was taking place, and Lot was trying to fight against what was going on in the city of Sodom. 
So where was the outcry coming from? It's coming from other people who were actually mistreated like they tried to mistreat those two angels who came to town. There's a cry going up to God. You see, God has to come with judgment. God has to come with justice. He comes because there is an outcry about the pain and suffering that's going on on this planet. And for God not to step in, you know, sometimes we think, well, why doesn't God just just leave everybody alone? But there are children being abused. There are things going on on this planet that cause pain and suffering, and you have people crying out for help. And for God not to move in injustice is for God not to be a God of infinite love. So the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry, again, the emphasis there, the outcry against it that has come to me, and if not, I will know. He says, there's an outcry. There are people begging for justice. You know, the Bible frequently refers to judgment in such a positive light that the psalmist is saying, judge me, O Lord. And, and we will sing for joy because your judgments have been manifested. It was through your judgments that you rescued us out of captivity in Egypt. Your judgments were manifested and we were released. Again and again, you see that the Bible is saying judgment is on behalf of of those who are in need of justice on this planet. So there's an outcry that's coming up before God. Then the men rose from there and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham, notice what it says here, shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Now this is referring back to that promise in Genesis chapter 12. where God had said, I'm going to bless you, and what? I'm going to make you a great nation, and I'm going to make you a blessing to all nations. You see here how it says, I'm going to make him a mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth are, are to be blessed through him. Here, I've chosen Abraham, not for some exclusive purpose, but I've chosen him so that he can make a difference in every nation on the planet. And so if I'm going to step into a situation on this planet, shouldn't I let the one who I'm choosing to make a blessing to the whole world, shouldn't I let him know what I'm up to? This is why he comes to Abraham. Now notice what he goes on to say. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after me that they keep the way of the Lord. Parents, you have an awesome responsibility You have this responsibility to instruct your children, your household, to to keep the way of the Lord. But the question is, in context, what is the way of the Lord? Look at how the verse continues. To do righteousness and what? To do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised to him. He, He said, I want for him to command his household in such a way that he'll command them for righteousness and justice. Now, I encourage you this afternoon, if you have some time, and get out a, a uh, you can search on the internet, or you can, if you have a Bible program, and look up those two words, righteousness and justice. Look at the times where they appear in tandem in the Bible. Again and again and again, you'll find these words together, and, and we lose the meaning in English, We look at righteousness as merely a 
an attitude towards God, a, a moral purity in relationship with God. We think about it on a vertical level only. We think about our relationship with God. But when we see a word like justice, it helps us to understand a little bit more what's encapsulated in what the Bible is talking about here. Justice is taking injustice and making it right. It's taking the problems in the world and fixing them. It's, it's making sure that people who are hurting can have situations made better for them. It's making sure that we're there for the outcasts, for the oppressed, for those who are in need. And notice, notice that, you know, this incredible covenant to Abraham is what the whole Bible is basically the story of from, from Genesis chapter 12 on. And the whole point of it, it says all of that is only going to happen, this whole story with Abraham and Jesus coming. Notice what it says. To do righteousness and justice in order that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And you know, sometimes we get this idea that it was just Abraham's family that was special. And it was just Israel that God cared about. And it was just them that he was thinking about. But the reality is that he chose them to be a blessing to all nations. He chose them to right the injustices in the world around them. To make the world a better place. And this is the way of the Lord. That we are to instruct our children, our households, and we're to invite them into. And you see this in the experience of Abraham. You see this demonstrated in his life. In Genesis chapter 18, when these three men come walking through the wilderness and, and they get near Abraham's tent, what does he do? He runs out and he prostrates himself before them and he says, please, come into my tent. He doesn't know these guys. They're out on a long journey. They're strangers to him. But he says, come into my house. And then he, he lavishly displays his hospitality, fixing them an extravagant meal uh, that is, is beyond uh, what would have normally taken place in his normal household. And he's rushing around doing everything possible to serve them. And they're strangers to him. And that's why Hebrews, referring to the story, says, don't forget to entertain strangers, for in so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. This is the type of person that Abraham was. Even though Lot may have mistreated him, he's running to help and to fix the problems when Lot is captured and taken by the kings who took over Sodom and Gomorrah. He did righteousness and justice. He encouraged his family in the way of the Lord. So Chris Marshall, talking about this idea of justice, says this <clears throat> in the book Biblical Justice. Justice is one of the most frequently recurring topics in the Bible. For example, the main vocabulary items for sexual sin appear about 90 times in the Bible, while the major Hebrew and Greek words for justice, which are mishpat, sedeka, diskaiasune, and krisis, occur over how many times? 1,000 times. 1,000 times the Bible refers to this idea of justice when it comes to sexual sin. 90 times. Is there a problem with sexual sin? Yes. Is there a problem with injustice? Yes. The Bible is abundantly clear. The whole Bible testifies to this over and over again. And it goes on to say that, that we don't capture this in the English because the key Hebrew and Greek terms are translated by a variety of English equivalents. And it goes on to say that biblical justice touches on every aspect of life, the personal and the social, the public and the private, the political and the religious, the human 
and the non-human. It was to impact every area of life where I am looking out for your needs before my own needs with selfless love. And this is why Jesus could say, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. This is the law and the prophets. This is absolutely everything. To be concerned when somebody else is lacking. To be concerned when they don't have enough. To be concerned when they're being mistreated. To say, I've got to step in and help them out in the midst of what they're going through. This is what it's all about, Jesus said. So Ezekiel chapter 16 summarizes the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah that that led to this conflagration of fire. And in the context, Ezekiel chapter 16, the verses preceding this are saying, you know, Jerusalem, compared to Sodom and Gomorrah, you have done far worse and more heinous crimes than Sodom and Gomorrah. Saying that about Jerusalem. It's a condemnation of Jerusalem. And then it says, look, this is what the iniquity of your sister Sodom was. Okay, so this is the iniquity of Sodom. She and her daughters had what? Pride. What's the next one? Fullness of food. Anybody go hungry this week or everybody have enough food this week? Hopefully you had enough food. If you didn't, please come talk to me. I'd like to help you out. An abundance of idleness. It was a place that, that, that easily produced food. It was a tropical oasis. It was like the garden of God and things were easy there. It was the good life. It was the American dream. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. She had everything and she didn't care about the needs of the poor and needy who were around her. And then he goes on to say, And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. You see how these, these roots created the terrible environment that we end up seeing in the book of Genesis. It was their idleness. It was the fact that they didn't care about the needs of the poor and suffering. It was the fact that they had while they didn't help others. It's okay to have wealth. Abraham had wealth, but what did he use it for? He used it to help others, and that's what we're called to do too. So back in Genesis chapter 19 and verse 27, we saw that Abraham came out, and he was standing in the place where he had stood before the Lord, that place where he had pled for God for the salvation of Sodom. And as he's looking and he sees the smoke ascending, he's probably thinking, oh no, this smoke means that God couldn't save in this city. But there's incredibly good news. God did everything possible to save in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember the story? Back in Genesis uh, chapter 19 and verse 15, the angels are there. They had sent Lot to go and to tell as many as people as possible to come and to get out of the city, but his son-in-laws even were just laughing at him. They didn't believe him. So in the morning, verse 15 says, when the morning dawned and the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he, what is that word? While he lingered. I love this place. 
What about me? He was used to making selfish choices, and so he lingered in that place. The men, what did they do? Took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him. I love this. This is one of my favorite verses. This is incredible. In the midst of this judgment upon this city, God steps in and he finds the only family that is willing to come out and they're hesitating. They don't really want to come out. And God, in his justice, in his love and in his mercy, he grabs a hold of them. He sends his angels. They grab a hold of them and they drag them out of the city. They have to be carried. I mean, they have to have their hands grabbed and they have to be pulled out of the city. They brought him out of the city and sent him outside the city. So Jude which told us about Sodom and Gomorrah being examples of eternal fire. It goes on to say this in verse 20 and 23. It says, And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. This is our calling, to come alongside people, to grab a hold of their hands and to say, There's something better for you. (laughs) This life that you're living that is so self-focused, let me tell you about a God of self-sacrificing love. Let me tell you about a life that can be lived where you lay down your life for others. But first, let's live it. (laughs) The best way that we're going to be able to convince people into that life is to have demonstrated it in our own lives on a day-to-day basis. And then it goes on to say, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Recognizing that that all the stuff is valueless even in such a beautiful place as Sodom and Gomorrah. But Lot's wife, after he was, she was pulled out of the city, her hand was grabbed by the angels. You think about it, they're grabbing the two daughters' hands, they're grabbing Lot's hand, and they're grabbing the wife's hand, and they're pulling them out of the city. But verse 26 says, but his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. You see, the picture in the end is that God will give you whatever you want. Do you want to be a part of that final conflagration where you come into the presence of God and you can't handle it? Do you want to choose selfishness, which in the presence of God is combustible? Or do you want to choose living a selfless life, living to live for others and allow his spirit to change you from the inside out? That's why Jesus said, remember, Lot's wife. Simple line as he's talking about last day events. He says, oh yeah, and remember, Lot's wife. She was looking back to Sodom. Maybe she had learned that from Lot, who originally looked that direction, who said, this is beautiful, let's choose this, let's choose selfishly, let's do for us and our family and our house and what's best for us so that we can live an easy life. And she was so programmed in that that when the time came to leave, she was looking back. And the choices that I make, that you make, for love or for selfishness today, will shape who we are so that on that day, when the gates of the city are wide open, that city uh, that we talked about last week, that we'll choose to stay outside the city because of our choices for selfishness. Or will we choose to be a part of that numberless multitude who is inside the city, who said, this is Jesus. He's our God. He died for me. I choose his character, his love throughout eternity. 
Malachi chapter 4 says this, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, will be stubble. And we've talked about how the guilt inside of a person is, is, it creates a reservoir of, of wrath. Romans chapter 2 says that, that it's combustible when it comes into contact with a selfless God. And if you've missed that, look back at the, the past couple of weeks as we've talked about it. But it says, And all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, will be stubble. And on that day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither what? Root nor branch. Good news. This is an eternal fire in that it will have eternal consequences and the smoke will ascend forever and ever, which will tell us that there is an end to the great controversy, a peaceful end where there will be no more selfishness throughout eternity. It will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear the name, fear my name, the son of righteousness will arise with what? With healing in his wings. Friend, if you're like me, you recognize I've got some selfishness in my heart. I tend to look out for me first. So I need to look to the son of righteousness who has healing in his wings and allow Jesus to change me by looking to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He will arise with healing in his wings. And I need to realize that pulling people out of the fire is a healing process, that, that I need to go close to people to point them to Jesus because as long as there's hope for any person on this planet, God will continue to provide every bit of mercy and grace possible. As long as anybody is, has the capacity to be healed, as long as they're not incurable, He's going to keep reaching out to them. He's going to keep reaching out to you as long as you have the capacity to turn back to love. He's not done with you. He hasn't given up on you. Keep looking to the son of righteousness. And then it goes on to say in verse 3, You will trample the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. There's coming a day where Second Peter says that there's a new heavens and a new earth that will uh, be created through this fire of purification. And this planet, it's going to be purified. And one day there will be an end to all sin and to all wickedness, to God's glory throughout eternity. He will put a peaceful end to this great controversy. And there will be no continuing flames throughout eternity for billions and billions of years to torture people to bring disrepute to God, for people to be blaspheming his name throughout eternity. This is simply not the picture of the Bible. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She She and her daughter had pride and fullness of bread and abundance of idleness, nor did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. Friends, I want to challenge you. Don't let this be your story. Choose the path of selfless love. Choose Jesus' path. Choose to command your your household to instruct them, to invite them to a life of righteousness and justice, of righting injustice in the world around you and every person that you can find who is in need of doing to them as you would want them to do to you. That is what we're called to. Father in heaven, Thank you that you're the God of the poor, the friend of the weak. We really do pray you give us your compassion. You give us a love for this hurting planet. You give us a heart like Abraham, a heart that says, 
please, let's save as many as we can. A heart that's unselfish, that's watching out for the needs of others. Lord, would you help us to pull as many as possible out of the fire of selfishness? And Lord, would you help us to invite them into the unquenchable fire of your love? And Father, I pray that you'd impress us with specific things. Maybe there's a person that we know that we could help in our lives who's in desperate need. Maybe there's somebody that we've hurt and we need to go make things right with them. Maybe there's a a family uh, difficulty like Abraham and Lot had that we need to to go and ask for forgiveness. We need to, to work towards reconciliation. Father, whatever it is, May we prayerfully seek for your spirit to transform our hearts into your heart of infinite love. Father, may we follow you not for the hope of reward, nor for the fear of punishment, but because we love you and we want to be with you and we want as many other people to be together with you forever as possible. Lord, may it be about others and not about ourselves. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.